14, verses 22 to 23. Sam, do I need a clicker? I don't need a clicker. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> don't worry. Don't, don't click yet. You're all, you're all good. <laughs> How to install panic. Okay, so chapter 14, verses 22 through to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way off from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. <laughs> and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, thank you so much, Daniel, the legend. <clears throat> that was like poetry emotion. Thank you. Where did I get to? He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are. Son of God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us afresh this morning. This is a well-known passage, Lord God, but I pray that you would just stir something in our hearts, a fresh revelation of who you are. Father, may that lead us, Lord God, to transformation, changing things in us, Lord God, to live a life more for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. No, I think we're good now. Slide one. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about expectations. I think, uh, sorry, Amy, would you uh, hit the first one? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I haven't got a joke ready for. Oh, hey, where we go? Right, is that is that the one? Faith. Slide one. Faith. Is that one? Full immersion. What are we going for? <clears throat> okay. Right. So I remember watching a post-match interview. I'm sorry, I do like a bit of football, so most of my illustrations do come from football. Just bear with me. Uh, so, uh, and this was with an interview with a previous manager now of Manchester United. And the interviewer commented on what was a man-of-the-match performance from United's goalkeeper, David De Gea. Now, he had made, in this game, many crucial saves. And the manager at the time, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, said, in what seemed like a jestful comment, Yes, he did make many great saves, but he could have caught a few more. Now, as I watched it, I thought, yes, there was a little bit of jest, but in addition, I think his comment was quite loaded 
with greater expectation. The manager, on one hand, was delighted with his keeper, and yet he wanted to demonstrate that he expected a little bit more. And the story that we have just read can so often focus on Peter's lack of faith that we can almost forget that the guy jumped out of the boat. How many of us would have done that? The rest of the disciples didn't. So Peter had a great deal of faith in one hand, and yet Jesus still wanted him to raise his expectations. I can't, I'll tell you what I can't do, is hold tea and turn my notes at the same time. <clears throat> so in the Gospels, Jesus was often called rabbi, teacher. And as a teacher, you kind of want your students always to be thinking, what's the next step forward? Uh, before I started leading the team at New Life, I had been a peripatetic teacher for 10 years working for uh, Wiltshire Music Service. And that was very fun. It was like being an uncle. You know, as a percussion teacher, you get to, you get to turn up, you get to hit loads of things with sticks, and then you disappear without having all the other responsibilities that like a standard teacher will have. Therefore, non-peripatetic teachers in, your room, in the room, I don't know where Lou is. Lou, um, salute you for doing the job that I really didn't want to do, and I get to do the fun stuff where you get to do all the hard stuff. Thank you, guys. If you're a teacher in this room, you guys are <laughs> pretty incredible. In one sense, my role from teacher to pastor hasn't really changed that much. There are still questions I want people to be asking. How do I develop further? How can I learn more? The expectation that there is more, more to your gifting, more to add to your knowledge, more to add to your practice and to your character. You know, for the Christian, the journey of a relationship with God is one of transformation. From the moment you give your life to Christ, you are a new creation. And so like any journey that starts from birth, we expect and strive for growth, aspire to see what is called in Isaiah 61.3, oaks of righteousness. Guys who in their lifetime who have enjoyed the benefit of lavish summers and also that they've weathered many storms and come through it all and still stand strong today in Christ. There is a great deal to be learned from these verses. But I certainly think Jesus wanted his disciples to come out, with this, come out of this experience with a greater expectation. Now, in your Bibles, you might have a title that is similar to uh, Jesus Walks on Water. And it's important to know that although titles are helpful, they're not scripture. And so what they can do sometimes is break up the context. And the surrounding context to the scripture is going to prove helpful to us here. So to give a little bit more depth to the narrative we just read, it's probably helpful to know that actually we have two storylines running simultaneously. A bit like when a book says, meanwhile, or uh, if you've ever watched a TV series, 24, you know when they, they often show split storylines happening all at the same time. Well, on one side of the screen, you've got Jesus going from village to village, town to town, 
preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the, the power and presence and teaching of Jesus wasn't like anything that anyone had experienced or known before. And his fame, because of this, was increasing across Roman occupied land and reaching the ears of those in the high authority. So meanwhile, on the other side of the screen, simultaneously, we had the story about John the Baptist. So John was the prophet who proclaimed the imminent arrival of Jesus, this Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. John at this time, at the same time here where Jesus is going from town to town, village to village, had been seized by King Herod and ends up being beheaded because Herod's mistress, which was Herod's sister-in-law, really didn't like the fact that John was challenging their relationship. So as these, both these storylines come together, the disciples of Jesus share the news to him, Jesus, John the Baptist, has died. And it's upon receiving this news that Jesus thinks, okay, I'm going to need to take some time out. And so he withdraws, as Jesus often did, to spend time in prayer. When the crowds catch wind of Jesus' location, they gather in their thousands. So Jesus tries to go away and spend some alone time with his heavenly Father. The crowds catch wind of where he is, and they gather in their thousands. And when Jesus sees them, he has great compassion upon them, and so he goes out to be with them. So it's this point that we have this incredible miracle where Jesus takes the two loaves and the five fishes, blesses it, and feeds 5,000 men plus women children. So when this is over, Jesus dismisses his disciples and once again takes the opportunity to withdraw and spend some time with his heavenly Father. So the context doesn't really illuminate hugely the text that we're in, but it should teach us a few things. And I just want to just share some early application, which was the full immersion slide, actually, <coughs> which is just here. Great. So one, first application point. Jesus immersed himself and invested heavily in people. One of the greatest demonstrations of love is your investment of time. And Jesus invested his time with people, whether that was local communities or with his disciples. Secondly, and it's important to know this, this kind of investment of time is costly. It makes sense to me that on hearing the news of John's death, you know, Jesus withdraws to spend time with his Holy Father and to grieve. Jesus grieves. He wept for those he loved. And yet in his compassion, he went out to be with those who came to see him. You know, there have been times when my heart has been set on having an evening in. You know, maybe it's a, a date night with the lovely Mrs. Williams, or I'm thinking the Champions League is on, and there's a couple of beers in the fridge, and of course the ultimate date night is all three of those things combined. I'm not sure Mrs. Williams agrees with that. <laughs> oh, dear. And then... I'm probably going to get a chat to after this. Okay, so here I am. Yeah, so I've got those things. Those plans are in place. And suddenly I get a text. And in that text it says, I'm really sorry to bore you. Is it okay if I pop around for the chat? I, I need a chat with you. And in my head, my immediate reaction is like, no! 
No, <laughs> please don't disturb my Champions League night, uh, or date night with Mrs. Williams. So the other way around. Please don't disturb my date night with Mrs. Williams or Champions League night. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that love is giving up all your personal time because personal time and date nights and all of that stuff is actually really valuable. But I am saying that there are times when showing love will come at a cost, particularly when God's compassion in you for others will mean that you will exchange your time for theirs. Number three, application, prayer. On the flip side, whilst Jesus immersed himself in people, he also withdrew frequently to get God's perspective. So Sam was talking about the significance of prayer and how we gather together as a church family to pray regularly. It's because Jesus prayed regularly. He withdrew frequently to get God's perspective, to pray, to have conversation with, to rest in his presence. And yes, sometimes Jesus sacrificed that time, but his discipline, his usual routine was come away from the crowd, rest in his presence. So here's a question. What do you do when you have dismissed the crowds? When the kids have gone to bed? When your friends have gone home? When the Zoom call has finished? There's a pattern that Jesus models for us, and as people who follow Jesus, this is definitely one to hang on to. When we withdraw, when we find ourselves on our own, take that opportunity to seek God, to come to him. Often, quite often, in that time, we as humans can actually be quite vulnerable, tired, and therefore sometimes we're subject to weakness. So even when Jesus went into the desert by himself, he was subject to temptation. So in those moments, pray and cling to God. Put him first. Don't allow the enemy a foothold. Rest and be refreshed in God's presence and let that be a discipline for you in your life. Like daily exercise. You know, come to him. Tell him all your needs. Give him all the glory. Now, as a principle of rest, have a beer, watch football, read, knit, crochet, get your guitar out, play Xbox, but also, or I've, 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 as I'm finding out, everyone seems to have PlayStations down this direction. <coughs> oh, that's good, good. Way, thanks. I'm appreciating it, and I'm not trying to draw a line of tension there. <laughs> so do all those things, but be intentional about spending time with Jesus, spending time with your Heavenly Father in prayer. Okay, right. Faith. Let's crack on with what happens next in Scripture. Okay, so you're a skilled fisherman. Most of your life has been spent on boats, so there are not many things that are going to catch you out. Nonetheless, there are a few reasons why I think even the most experienced people on boats may have had a reason to feel a little bit jumpy on this occasion from what we just read. So one, for all you people who don't like dark, it was very dark. In fact, it would have been pretty much pitch black. It was the fourth watch, which means between 3 6 a.m. in the morning. And then secondly, as instructed, the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee by boat, but they were actually a long way from land. The wind was against them. The waves had beaten them a long way from shore. 
And the Gospel of Mark tells us that they were actually making headway painfully, which means it was incredibly hard work for them to head in the right direction. So in the pitch black and driving rains and winds, suddenly they catch sight of something in the distance. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus had come to them. Okay, so Jesus had come to them on the water. But in the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that it was actually Jesus' intention to walk past them. So I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. But reason number three on why they should be a bit jumpy is that they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. In fact, verse 26 tells us that they were terrified. Okay, so that's a couple of reasons to be a bit jumpy. Pitch black. Working really hard against headwinds. One reason to be terrified. And the word terrified from the Greek actually is a word terasso, which means to disturb, to throw into confusion, which means it's not probably the terrified that we might imagine, but more like they are disturbed because they can't comprehend what was happening. So Jesus calls out to them in that moment and he says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, there are some really marvelous moments that happen here. And I would like to speak into some of those moments, into the lives of individuals here and as a church as a whole. They are teachable moments, moments of faith and doubt, moments of fear and confusion, clarity and confidence, and it all ends with worship. It all ends leading to worship. I want you to hear these as an encouragement to you this morning. So here's the first thing. Don't be afraid. I will take a sip of tea. Don't be afraid. Jesus immediately moves to dispel any wrong type of fear. There is a right kind of fear, but it is not here in this moment. So church, individually, corporately, together, in darkness and driving winds where it feels like everything is hard work and you're making little progress and you think it's impossible for Jesus to be there in the middle of all of that, Jesus says to you, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is me. I'm here with you. Secondly, it's okay to get confirmation so this is what Peter says. So here is the guy we're measuring as in terms of his steps of faith. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. It's a bit of a strange request, really, isn't it, from Peter? But at the heart of it, I think Peter is saying, Lord, if it's really you, I'd rather be with you than on this boat. Now, logically, in our minds, We might default to thinking the safest place has got to be on the boat, surely. But it's here that we understand the revelation that Peter has received regarding Jesus. Wherever you are, Jesus, that's where I want to be. That's the safest place. Lord, if it's you, I want to be where you are. It's not about Peter seeing Jesus walking on the water and thinking, that's awesome, how do I get to do that? 
It's more about Peter being certain of who was calling out to them. And I guess really, no matter where you are at in your faith, whether that's exploring Christianity or hearing the voice of Jesus in tough times, it seems like here, for your assurance, for your peace, for your confidence, it's okay to get confirmation. Ask God, if this is your voice, would you confirm it? Now, personally, I'm happy to receive that confirmation through normal means. You know, the Bible's fine, through Christ's following friends is fine, but it seems you can't actually rule out confirmation through strange requests as well. Take the example of Gideon. So God has asked Gideon to lead the people of Israel into battle, and if you read Judges, Book of Judges, six, this, is how, <laughs> this is how Gideon responds. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand... As you have said, behold, I am lying, or laying a fleece of wool on the, on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and all the ground around it remains dry, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And the Bible says, just like in Genesis, and it was so. So Gideon, in the way that he wanted confirmation that God was speaking to him about leading Israel in this huge battle, if you were going to take someone like me to do this, Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay this clothing on the floor and you're going to make that wet and keep all the rest of the ground dry. What a strange request from Gideon. It's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? But God seems to honor it. So there is examples of Scripture where... Now, I'm not endorsing making strange requests to God to get confirmation of his voice. But it does feel like you can get confirmation. It's okay to get confirmation. You unsure that God is calling you to do something? Ask God, do you confirm that to me, please? I'm just struggling to get that clarity of your voice. God knows your heart. Just see how he responds. Eh? Okay, and third and probably my favorite one, be prepared to jump out of the boat. So this moment here is faith in action. Peter is not thinking about the situation, as Peter, if you know Peter, he doesn't really think about, doesn't seem like he thinks about a lot of things before he does something. <clears throat> but he's not thinking about the situation, he's not thinking about the environment anymore, or even the fact that Jesus is walking on water. There is no longer confusion, just the clarity that comes from the command of Jesus, come. And when Jesus calls you, you've got to get out of the boat. And that might be a message for you here as an individual, that Jesus is calling you. And that call is now crystal clear for you. And now you need to respond in faith, to jump in faith. Get out of whatever situation that is causing you to feel wrapped in darkness, where you are confused and you feel like you're working against the wind in life. Take the risk to respond to the call of Jesus. You've got to jump out of the boat. There are times where you have to jump out of the boat. Um, lesson in life, <clears throat> sometimes you're going to sink. You jump out of the boat, be prepared, that sometimes you're going to sink. Now, I don't know if you've taught your child to ride a bike, or uh, you remember learning when you were little. You know that moment? <laughs> for the parents here, remember the moment when you let go of your child and, you know, they've started pedaling 
and you think, you, you take a few paces back, okay, they're on their own. And they do that thing. They do that thing when they turn around and they look at you. They look at you as if to say, look at me, Dad, I'm doing it. And that's the moment where it all goes completely sideways. Yeah? <clears throat> Splendidly wrong. We had a few moments like that. So as soon as Peter takes, starts to take notice of the things around him, he's all fine and suddenly he starts taking stock of the environment. Suddenly he doubts. He jumps, and with eyes fixed on Jesus, he walks towards him, and then the wind manages to turn his head, grab his attention, and he starts to sink. Okay, so there's a couple of things here that are important, like running a 100-meter race. If you've done that, the, the goal is you keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. You don't look to, the, to your opponent to the right, to the left. They, it wastes valuable moments. Therefore, you, know, you lose just seconds in turning your head. You keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. When you jump out of the boat, when you take that leap of faith, when you respond to the call of Jesus, the goal is keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the one who's going to keep you afloat. Any distractions are going to shift your focus and you could find yourself in deep water. And I will say this is the caveat, okay? At the same time, God knows you are human. And if you are able to fix your eyes on him perfectly at all times, there would have been no sin in the Garden of Eden and this world would have no need for a savior. The other thing is if you do start sinking, what does Peter do? He starts crying out to Jesus and he's willing to meet you where you're at, take you by the hand and pull you out. He is a God who is willing and mighty to save. So sometimes, even if our aspiration is to keep eyes fixed on him, sometimes we can get distracted. Sometimes we will sink. God knows you're human. You've got to cry out to him, grab hold of his hand, and allow him to pull you out of that situation. Okay. Faith and faith. Increase your expectation. Okay. So Jesus wants you to enlarge your faith and trust in him what he's able to do, and what you are going to do through him. As individuals and as his church family, as we embark on this adventure together, I think God wants to increase our expectation and our faith. After Peter sinks, Jesus pulls him up and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I, I think... Personally, I mean, you can view it in whatever, I guess you can view it in multiple ways, but I think Jesus says this to Peter, not in a scolding way, but in a, in a kind, king-like manner. You know, however, I do, I do, you can't help but feel for him as well at the moment, okay? Because none of the other dudes jumped out of the boat, did they? Only Peter. Peter walked with Jesus on the water. I mean, what? none of the other disciples got to do that. And still Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. So I naturally lean toward thinking that Peter gets a bit, a bit of a hard deal. Why didn't Jesus say, well done, Peter? This is like, maybe this is the, the, the type of teaching mentality that I have, maybe. So, well done, Peter. You made it at least 50 yards before I had to rescue you. That's more than anyone else did. 
But no, even in that moment, Jesus wanted to raise Peter's expectation, which means there is always going to be more opportunity to grow in your journey with Jesus. And remember, faith is not just about believing what God can do. It's about leaping and doing. Faith in practice, because you are confident in God, this makes you more confident in life. Okay. How are we doing time-wise? Okay, when, when Jesus got into the boat, the wind ceased. So there is significance in Jesus calling you out and you responding in faith, but there is also significance about Jesus being in the same boat as you. In the presence of Jesus, the things that are working in opposition to you cease. God is in command of all of his creation. And this was an acute reminder to all the disciples that in the presence of Jesus, the opposition ceases. Disciples, they, they've seen this before. Mark 4, 41. Storm again. And when Jesus calms that storm, they say, who is this? Even the winds and the wave obey him. If Jesus is not in the boat with you, you jump out to get to him. But if he is with you, you're to have no fear. Because in his presence, the opposition ceases. Last thing before I finish. This whole event really leads to one thing, worship. The first thing that Jesus does when disciples cry out fear is to immediately dispel unhealthy fear. Take heart, do not be afraid, it's me. But when Jesus gets into the boat, the wind ceases. Confusion, doubt, and disturbance are exchanged for peace, security, and safety. The unhealthy fear is cast away, leaving the right type of fear to remain, that which is knitted with wonder, awe. They are left in awe at who Jesus is and what he can do. So in that first experience of Jesus calming the storm, Jesus speaks to the winds and the waves, at the power of and, then, and at the power of his word, they cease, and the disciples are like, whoa, who's this? The second time here in this narrative, they experience a fight against the winds and the waves. Jesus doesn't even utter a word. He just joins them, and the winds cease. And then they know. It is no longer, who is this? And now their confidence is certain and their response is, truly you are the Son of God. They worshipped him in fear of understanding who he was and in wonder of what he could do. And it was truly an awesome moment. And that really is how we're going to rightfully respond together as a family to this word in worship. So can I invite the team to come up? Let's stand together, shall we, if you're able. This is our confidence. That where the presence of Jesus is, confusion, doubt, and disturbance are exchanged for peace, security, and safety.
Amen? It is here that we remember who our God is. And we express our thanksgiving, our awe of him in worship. So this is going to be a personal moment here for us in the midst of worship. To declare your confidence. Even to get clarity in how Jesus is calling you. Even now, you guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed over the last two years, it's been, a, it's been a, a window, hasn't it, for people to really reassess where their lives are at. Even now, you might be still in that place of assessment and just saying, God, what are you calling me to? Here in the place of worship, where we declare our confidence in him, I think these are the places where we can ask for clarity on calling. For some of you, this might be a jump out of the boat moment, a big faith moment. And I believe that particularly, actually that some of these will be big growth and gifting moments. That you are gonna step forward in ways that you might not have been nervous to previously, but now there is clarity in Jesus' calling over your life. Maybe you might want to testify about that this morning. That's my encouragement as we worship. If you feel like you want to bring testimony about that clarity or just the Jesus calling over your life, then do so. Encourage the church family. Maybe this is you responding to the call of Jesus for the first time. And so if it's you, if that's you, you want to respond to the call of Jesus for the first time, then come and see me in the time of worship. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe this is a moment of confirmation, seeking God for clarity, or maybe it's a help me keep my eyes fixed on you moment, that my attention will not be caught up with everything else going on around me, but my life, my gaze, my direction will all be caught up with walking with you. And so, Heavenly Father, this is us effectively withdrawing into your presence coming away from the crowds in that sense. Today we go out into the community and we will live a life of compassion for you. Be witnesses for you. But I pray here in this moment right here, right now, Lord God, would your presence, Lord, bring clarity and be an exchange from disturbance and confusion for peace safety and security and God I pray for all of us Lord who are just in that moment Lord who realize we need to take jump out of the boat faith step moments help us to do so keeping our eyes fixed to you in Jesus name Amen